Drumming. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer and singer John Dietrich. Many people know John as one of the founding members of the band Restless Heart, who had numerous hits in country and pop genres. John is originally from Syracuse, New York, and moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 1981. By 1984, Restless Heart released its first recording and continued to record and tour for over 30 years. After a successful and extensive career, John now enjoys retirement. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I do here at the podcast, you can become a Patreon member. Find us at patreon.com slash working drummer. Any donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content that's provided by our former guests. This content covers a variety of topics, but it's all educational and applicable to the working professional. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can make a one-time donation through PayPal, and you can find links to both of these things on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. And while you're there, you can find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done over the years. And no matter what your platform of choice is for listening to podcasts, giving us a like, a rating, and review always helps us grow. So I had recently learned that one of John's uh, oldest friends is a great drummer, teacher, named George Lawrence, who I've known since I moved to Nashville 22 years ago. George now lives in Memphis, but he and John have stayed in touch, and they've known each other since about 1974. And I thought it would be fun as a surprise guest to have George come on the Zoom call. You'll hear that at the top of our conversation, George coming in and surprising John. It was a lot of fun to hear them talk about old times and uh I hope you guys enjoy that. Also, during the conversation, George asks John about a sticking pattern that John used to play a country train beat, and uh, it gets a little confusing, and what I've done is, I talked with John later, I'm going to break it down, and in the show notes, you'll see that sticking written out with capital letters used to indicate accents. I'll also uh, interject my voice in the conversation explaining that but i left a lot of it in there the the cacophony and the confusion it's 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 kind of funny uh anyways uh but it was a lot of fun and uh great to speak with this great musician john dietrich and i hope you enjoy this conversation with john dietrich Looks like we got someone that's joining us. Who that? Can you see him on there? Can you? No. Ex- you can't. Uh, can you expand no. your view? Uh, I don't know how to do that. I'm a drummer. <laughs> well, we have another drummer. We have. Uh, that be, who that be? That 
Uh, somehow we got George Lawrence that has infiltrated our, our Zoom call here. Oh, I see George now. <laughs> GL. <laughs> JD. What's going on, man? This is your life, John Dietrich. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, it's is funny. This where, is, this, is this where I get the $10 Whataburger gift certificate? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're fixated on Whataburger. Hey, George. Yeah. Hey, man. How you doing? Good. Good. Good to see you. John, I, I, I wanted to surprise you, and I know you and George go way back, and George has been we, a good- Yeah, way back. George has been a good friend of mine and and supporter of the podcast and supporter of me since I moved here in 2000, and I hadn't seen him forever. I said, well, what a great excuse to say see him and bring him on and kind of, you know- spend a little time you guys just chatting and and i've i know you guys well, go back george, and yeah george and i george and i can tell some more stories <laughs> well this is this is what people we, like we've got some you know, stories we there are stories we can't tell <laughs> well yeah there are a couple of those but um i i i remember uh, way back when when we were both at north texas um we used to have these uh, once a week, they would have uh, drummers um, get together and, you know, like, I don't know how many, George, 70, 60, 70 of us show up, drum set drummers, uh, to these things once a week. And, and they would, uh, different drummers would demonstrate different things. And George was always called to uh, demonstrate the Tower of Power and David Garibaldi stuff. Uh, because he was excellent at it and they always called me to do the billy cobham yeah uh, Mahavishnu stuff <laughs> you know, so. do you do you remember where we met i do I, um was it in the quads yeah it was in the it was in the dorm and jim basile had been talking about you for months oh you gotta hear this this friend of mine he's coming he's a great drummer <laughs> Uh, we met down in the in one of the basement practice rooms, and yeah. you had your uh, clear Ludwig set set up. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah, you were definitely playing the Billy Cobb and stuff, man. So yeah, I was. Yeah, I had I had been in a uh, a band in Syracuse uh, before I had transferred to North Texas, and we were kind of a a, a schizophrenic uh, group. Um, we were doing the Rolling Stones and the Mahavishnu Orchestra and Elvin Jones, <laughs> you know, so at the we, same we, time or different. Yeah. In the same set. Yeah. You know, <laughs> sometimes in the same song. Yeah. Um, uh, we didn't, we didn't get a lot of paying gigs, you know, but we, <laughs> we, we played out for the door, didn't make any money, but hell we were playing, you know, we were playing yeah, what yeah. we, what we love to play and you know, we didn't care. Yeah. We, we were going to be jazz drummers. What happened? <laughs> I, I think we all were at some point, you know, and then reality well, we, struck. We all three ended up playing with Larry Stewart. Right. Uh, it just, it must've been a past life sin that I'm paying for. <laughs> Hey man, I, I just read recently that you're doing the thing with Larry Stewart and a couple of other singers. 
Yeah, the front men. So it's Richie McDonald yeah. and Tim Rushlow. Uh-huh. I've been doing that for a couple years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's been an interesting it's been an interesting thing and um you know, they've got some big things going on next year. Well, uh, John, I wanted to invite George on. I mean, I do my research as much as I can with my guests and um but I I just I, I the the history that you guys have the 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 these the things that were experienced in a time that you know pre-internet all the all those kinds of things um right and uh what people were learning and how they were learning to play music how they were learning to play drums they you know when i of course when i grew up i had mtv but i didn't have i didn't have youtube i didn't have we didn't have the internet either um but access to videos and things like that were a little bit more regular. Um, but still, hell, we didn't we didn't even have access to videos. That's the yeah. thing. That's the thing. I mean, there there's yeah. so many. I mean, you guys, two great examples of like amazing players that figured it out, and how you figured it out. I mean, I'm sure there had to be a peer to peer kind of thing that happened when you were in college, when you're in high school. Yeah. We slowed the records down to, uh, yeah, <laughs> whatever. I, I, I remember specifically, um, <laughs> try, you know, I, I used to sit and practice. Um, I would memorize Buddy Rich albums. Right. And I would listen through headphones and I would, I would try to learn all the little nuances and, and things like that. And there were just some things I just couldn't do because I couldn't figure out how he was doing it. Right. Yeah. And so I would slow the record down from 33 to 16 to, of course, it became mush at that point, you know, but I mean, uh, <laughs> to, to try to hear what drum he was uh, hitting. And I actually figured out cross sticking on the drum set by myself because I figured out, well, okay, the only way that he can do, the only way that he could do this is, is by crossing his hands. Right. To, to, to play that figure, and I actually figured that out by myself just by by listening and and uh, trying to figure things out, and that's what we did. You were you studied with Ed Shaughnessy. I did, and I, did. I remember you taking me to the BNS Drum Shop um, when he did a clinic there. Uh-huh. You remember that? I do. That was do. Pretty, and then I think we went out drinking later <laughs> with Ed, <laughs> and he could drink. <laughs> Ed, yeah, Ed could put it away. You know, I, I, um, he came to Syracuse when I was still living in Syracuse and I was, I was going down once a month on the Greyhound bus, uh, to Manhattan to study with him. And, uh, he played the two rivers in, in Syracuse with doc. And I went out to see him. And I, and I, uh, Tony Raposo was the musical director out there who was also a college professor of mine. And I got Tony to take me, you know, back through the kitchen, the backstage area and Ed came off stage and, um, you know, Ed, it was really weird because I'd been studying with him for, oh, you know, several months. Uh, and he didn't seem to know me. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, have a very forgettable face. Joe. Yeah, he he, he 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 didn't seem to know me, you know. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, you know, 
year, a years later, I'm sitting at the Tonight Show with Ed, uh, talking with him, and uh, he 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 takes out a pack of cigarettes and lights up a cigarette, and I went, "Wow, man, I didn't know you smoked." He said, "Well, he said I had to do something when I gave up drinking." <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, that's amazing! I said. So that's why you didn't know who I was. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> he, he was sloshed. Oh, my gosh. And uh, Tony Raposo told me after that, he went out to dinner uh, with Ed afterwards, and he said Ed, Ed drank an entire pitcher of sangria by himself and about a pound of spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah. do, do you remember, like, roughly what year this was or – uh, the year that I the oh, yeah. year that I saw him at Two Rivers Inn in Syracuse would have been 1970. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you and I met in '74, and we right. lived on the we lived on the you live right down the hall from me from my dorm. Right, right. Do you remember me renting your Rogers kit to go I play did. a rock gig? I had a little jazz, a little Gretsch yeah. jazz set, and I got a gig. Yeah. His rock band and I'd go over and rent John's, you know, I think it was like a 24 inch bass drum. It was, it was a nice Roger set. That's one of the things that got me interested in vintage drums. That's kind of where it started. Really? Wow. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I wish I had that set now. No kidding. Uh, I had a, um, it was a 1968 uh, Rogers holiday kit. Uh, with a wooden Dynasonic snare drum. Uh-huh. And that Dynasonic snare drum was just a freak. I had, uh, Dynasonic snare drums were all the rage with right. with jazz and the jazz rock drummers mm-hmm. back then. And I had several friends in town that had them. And uh, they would come and listen to mine and, and they would say, I can't get my Rogers to sound like that, huh. you know. So mm-hmm. you just you 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 got a freak or something, you know those things and, uh, are finicky. It, it's... And and I I went and you know young and stupid I traded it away for a oh. you know a clear set of uh, clear set of fives first, and then I traded the fives for the clear set of Ludwig's. Huh. And George, you have, uh, you have at your place in Memphis the clear. Uh, yep. the Ludwig Vistalite snare drum that came with that kit. I held on to it. I'm sitting right by it, right by it, and about yeah. 20, 20 other snare drums of yours that we're selling. George is selling all all of my gear. Yeah, I remember this, I remember seeing that post. Um, yeah, and he has a deal for you. Tell him, George. Yeah. <laughs> Today, hey, Matt Krause, it's for you. Today only. <laughs> you got it, man. What don't I have? <laughs> You need you need a bunch of vintage drums and cymbals. I do, I do. My wife thinks I already have too many, but I I was like, none of them are very expensive. So after school, I think I saw John playing in in a, in a band in uh, Dallas, and Kim Mortimer, my roommate at school, was playing bass with you right. guys, and right. uh, and you know some hotel gig or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then it was uh, not until. 93 or so. Well, actually, a little bit earlier than that, I saw you, I saw Restless Heart playing in Jackson, Mississippi, my hometown. Yeah. And uh, in 93, I called uh, 
Bill Simmons, who was Restless Heart's manager, he had been he had been the manager of a bar in my hometown at one time. That's how I knew him. Yeah. And uh, he he said, can you do these dates? And it was with Larry Stewart. And then I moved to town, 93. And one of the first people I talked to was God. you. And and um, you were very, very helpful and instrumental. You get, you helped me get uh, a Peisty cymbal endorsement and an endorsement with uh, Darwin drums, which was a Fibes, you know. Right. Wow. Yeah. I remember those yeah. guys. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you big time for that, man. Well, you know, I, it was my pleasure to do, but I, it, it just reminded me of a <laughs> a funny story. Um, when you were playing with Larry Stewart, um, we were we were both still on, uh, I think we were both still on RCA. Right. We had to have been. RCA had this, they did this TV show from... Oh. The- the aircraft from the, carrier from the deck of the aircraft carrier kitty hawk right <laughs> yeah. and larry stewart was on the show restless heart was on the show martina mcbride was a brand new artist back then she was on the show at any rate uh restless heart was down to the three of us and we sang the national anthem okay <laughs> so everybody's standing there there's five thousand sailors the captain and the fleet admiral was on the ship right so i screw up the words to the national anthem <laughs> right i go um I, I i forget what it was but i left out the rocket's red glare i i went i i I sang some other line and never dropped a beat, just kept right on going, got right back into it, you know, and I'm standing up there singing and thinking, oh, my God, I hope nobody noticed that. And so the song, you know, the national anthem is over. The applause dies down. There's not a sound. And from way off on my left, I hear George Lawrence yell, hey, Dietrich. The rocket's red glare. And everybody <laughs> just fell out. Everybody just fell out. I mean, it, it was, it, and I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, that's yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> who was the who was the keyboard player during that time? What was his name? Uh, Dwayne Rowe. I played and, with him in uh, with Clint Black. He's in Clint's yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dwayne went with. Um, Dwayne went with Brooks and Dunn mm-hmm. uh, and was with Brooks and Dunn for a, a long time. And then he went with uh, with Ronnie after that, when Brooks and Dunn decided to go their separate ways for a while. Uh, and then he got the Clint Black gig. Yeah. So he's worked. He's worked very, very steadily, you know, ever since then. Yeah. Can you guys talk about Nashville in that time period, like that, that early 90s? through that period it was it was thriving yeah it's not like it is today at all you know Mm -hmm. the record companies had money there were a lot of record companies they all had 20 acts not three 20 yeah you know and uh, the digital revolution hadn't started yet you know we still using tapes or i think some of the some people might have been using you know the uh, DA 88s and, right. you know, yeah. the Elisa's machines, but, uh, <clears throat> we were still, you know, back in analog world <clears throat> and you guys recorded a lot of your albums at the Oak Ridge boys studios, didn't you? No, 
No. Um, no, we did. Um, we did a lot of work at Omni Sound, mm-hmm. uh, Center Stage. Uh, we recorded, um, we recorded most of Big Iron Horses at Woodland. Okay. Um, and I remember we were recording, um, we were, we were recording there and the label called us up and said, uh, Mutt Lang wants to come over and sit in on your recording sessions. Huh. We're like huh <laughs> you know, acdc you know what the hell does he want to come over and sit in on our session for well we didn't have any idea that he was dating shania twain and was going to produce her record and shania twain back then was a relative unknown right um, she was known but she you know it was it was mutt you know that that really propelled her into superstardom so this is like 19 1992 93 would have been yeah around that time okay and um mutt wanted to know how records were made in nashville because he wanted to do it the nashville way he was coming to nashville to record shania and he wanted to he wanted to do it the way they did it in nashville and um you know i remember sitting out there talking sitting out in the lounge and talking to him and um you know, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember let's get rocked comes on, uh, comes on VH one. And, um, you know, we're listening to it and he said, he just very nonchalantly says, yeah, the guys were out on the road when I wrote that song. And he said, I just decided to do everything myself. Good Lord. <laughs> and I said, you you did all the vocals. He's yeah, I just did it all myself. Mutt Mutt can can mimic, yeah, uh, voices, and uh, you can hear it in the different Shania Twain records. You know yeah. when uh, no one needs to know right now when he does that duet with Shania, it, it you don't know it's Mutt singing, right? Wow. You know, and then and then Mutt can sing, you know, let's get rocked. You know, and, and and it's a totally different voice. So you know, he's very gifted that way. But- hey, Matt, um, John called me up. I can't even remember what year it was to come play on a record on, on some songs he was recording. And I'm going, why? Why don't? Why aren't you playing? Why don't? Why don't you just play the drums? And he said, because I'm uh, learning how to play guitar, and I'm going to be the lead singer. In this band, you remember that? <laughs> the Buffalo Club. The Buffalo Club, right, 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 right. <laughs> that was well, a, that was a fun session or two we did. Well, I I wanted you to play on it on the on the songs. It were they were they were demos that we were doing. It was a couple of songs I had written with B Bertles from the Little River Band. Yeah, B. Um, and uh, I I just thought. You know, man, I just you know I really want George to play on these these uh, songs because I don't I I just don't think I'm the right guy you know to play on these songs and George came in and did a uh, just a masterful job you know awesome. it was right up George's alley what what we were what we had written and uh, so yeah it was a lot of fun those were and, good songs and my guitar playing days didn't last long because my <laughs> my uh, 
you know, all of my, my hand technique was revolved around drumsticks. Man, I saw you trying to play that acoustic guitar. Oh. You were just like, you know, just walking around. It was almost like, I'm just trying to get used to wearing this thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, because they were going to want me to come down front. And, and I, I said, look, I'm a drummer. I sit in the back. I don't go down front. Yeah. And they said, well, but, you're going to go down front. Well, they could have put said, you up front with the drums like Karen Carpenter. Or, or, or Kelly, Kelly Kagey. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hey, who, all, who all was on that session? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Craig Nelson played bass. And it was your guitar player. It was, um, from was Restless. Char- oh, Greg. Yeah. Greg yeah. Jennings. Uh, Craig Nelson played bass. You played drums. Who played? Did we have a keyboard player? I think we I did. Don't, yeah. I don't. Oh, it might, well, I wonder if it was Jay Jay Vern. That's who, who it was. Who owned the studio? Who owned the studio? I think and, it was uh, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. Those were good songs, man. Whatever happened to that band? That whole band idea. Uh, the Buffalo Club. Yeah. Well, we put out we put out an album. Uh, we had some. Uh, we had some success on actually it was the highest new artist debut in two years on our first single, which was, which song was that? Um, if she don't love you, it was a Mark Beeson song who wrote one of the writers on when she cries. Um, the, the, the band Ron and I were okay, but, uh, Charlie, um, Charlie was, um, you know, he was kind of playing Ron and I against each other, and Charlie had an Charlie had an agenda. You know, Charlie wanted to become one of the lead singers, and you know, Ron had talked to him, and Ron was the lead singer. Yeah, and, and a I, fantastic singer. Yeah, I I, I sang one song uh, on the record, and that was by design. I said, I'm I'm not the singer that I don't care if I had to hit. Ron's I'm not the singer Ron is Ron's the obviously hands down the best singer here he's the lead singer Mm -hmm. if anybody's going to sing another song on the record it's going to be me you know and Charlie wanted to sing and you know he he just couldn't sing uh well he I I say he couldn't he couldn't he had trouble singing in tune Mm -hmm. um to the point that we had to bring in Chris Rodriguez to to sing his parts in the studio um because Barry, Barry Beckett just said, I can't deal with this. You know, I'm going to get this guy. And, you know, that's the way Nashville works, yeah. unfortunately. I mean, you know, it's like, look. Banned by money. committee. <laughs> well, time is money, you know. Yeah. And, well, and this uh, is ni- 1997. Was I mean, were you guys using Pro Tools or was it all straight to tape at that? Yeah. No, Barry, Barry was using Pro Tools. As a matter of fact, he told us, uh, he said, I don't care if. I don't care if your your you know if your meter's not not perfect. I don't care if you're slightly out of tune. I can fix it in Pro Tools. He said I want a performance. Mm. Um, mm. Unlike back when we were when Restless Heart was making records back in the eighties, um, we had to sing everything. Right. There was no Pro Tools, and we had to sing it in tune. And I remember you couldn't Tim cut and Dubois, paste. No, Tim <laughs> Dubois said we had we had 24 hours not 24 man hours 
we had 24 hours invested in just the background vocals on the song Wheels. Wow. Hey, speaking of, great, speaking of great singers, man, the thing that impressed me most about you and Restless Heart was that you guys toured with Toto and sang with them on stage. Yeah. That and was you got good. to hang out with Jeff Picaro. That was a real, yeah, that was, that was fun. That, that was really fun. Tell um, us about 1990. That yeah. was 1990 in Oldenburg, Germany. And we were on the show because um, we were over there doing something. Um, I don't know what, I don't, obviously radio promotion or something over there. And um, we had the same management. So management put us on on this show in Oldenburg because they wanted to get a video of a of a single uh, called uh, "Long Lost Friend" um, that was going out to AC Radio. So we did a video on our second night there. So the first day that we're in Oldenburg, it's around sound check time, and uh, we we had we had finished sound check. And then Toto was going to go out and sound check. Well, we, you know, we, so somebody had the idea. I don't, it was probably me, you know, <laughs> that said, Hey, I got a great idea. You know, let's all stand outside Toto's dressing room door and sing the chorus to Africa. <laughs> Whoever thought that would be a good idea. Again, it was probably me, you know, you know, Oh yeah, it'll be real funny. So, we stand outside the door and we bust into the chorus of Africa. Next thing we know, the door comes flying open and they all come flying out into the hall and it scared us. We, we just, we stopped. We just, we just stopped. Go, uh-oh. You know, we went, uh-oh. You know. And Paige goes, no, no, no. Keep singing. And he, he turns to Luca third. He says, it hasn't sounded that good since the record. Nice. <laughs> so we 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 finished it and he goes that's it you guys got to come out on stage and sing africa with us you know that's so hilarious. the second night we were there they called us out to do africa with them and it was uh one of the two or three highlights of my career yeah yeah, yeah. and so from what i understand there's there they were filming but uh, the the format in which they use it, right. it just made it inaccessible, and then years later you find it on YouTube. Well, they they um, they filmed in a European format called PAL, P A L instead of uh, I don't know what they would get VHS or the heck it was, sure. <laughs> and we couldn't figure out because they were going to have to transfer it over to get the video to play in the United States anyway. So why couldn't we get a copy of it? Yeah. Well, we couldn't get a copy of it. And so Mark Hartley tried. They, he said, no, nah, it's gone. It's lost. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and, and they, uh, well, they filmed the entire performance of, uh, of us singing Africa and, and long lost friend that we did. So all of a sudden, uh, I, I, I got an email from somebody and I think it was Mark Beckett, Barry Beckett. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it was Mark and Mark said, Hey man, he said, 
I'm cruising around YouTube, and he said, I ran into this Toto Oldenburg, 1990, Africa. And he said, you guys are on stage singing Africa. What the, holy mackerel, you, you found it. I can't believe it. And so, yeah. you know, yeah, we found it. So, hey John, do you remember uh, coming over to my house in Jackson and showing me how you played a train beat? Yes. <laughs> and do you remember showing me how to play uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover? I don't. Correct, co correct did, I, did I do that? Yes, you did. No, okay, no, no. Gotcha. 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. It was uh, um, late in the evening. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It no, was late in the evening. I couldn't figure out how to play late in the Steve evening. Steve Gadd, Mozambique. Yeah, the yes. Mozambique. I couldn't figure out how he was doing it. And and George sat there and and he like in in like three minutes, you know, he showed me how to do it. And it's the easiest thing, you know, but I couldn't figure it out. So. Hey, I've, I've got the sticking for your secret recipe for how to play a cool train beat. What is that? What is that? I'm Can curious I give it away? All right. Yeah. Well, you got a pencil or something right with it's uh, right, left, right, left. Then left, right, left, right. No. The third sticking in each of those is the accent. So you bas you're basically shifting the accent from the right hand to the left hand. Uh, close. This is this is really drum nerd stuff. It's close. Um, it's what is it? <laughs> it's right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, right. Left, right, right. You're left. pounding it into my head. Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> say it once. Let me. See. I wanted to get the accent. <clears throat> it's hey everyone. This is an addendum to this confusing conversation. John texted me after our interview, and here is the sticking to clarify: right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right. Right, left, right. The accents are where you think they would be for a train beat, but here uh, are the accents as I tell you. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right. Right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right. So you get that train feel. So there you go. There is uh, that spelled out in the show notes as well. Thanks. It, it really frees you up to do things around the, the kit that you can't if you're locked into that constantly having to play it all in the right hand. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, it's, it's been really interesting to, to think about some of those signature country grooves that I think as kids we kind of took for granted. It's like, oh man, that's just that's just easy. But when I moved to Nashville, I discovered just how beautiful the in between the notes were, the the swing elements of some of those things. And the train beat is is the perfect example of something that I think people can take for granted. But when it's done well, and other musicians, yeah. non drummers, yeah. they feel it, they know it. And they're like, dude, there's something about your train beat, and we all know it. We we all hear it, and and sometimes. There's a signature type of train beat. When you hear Eddie play a train beat, you're like, yeah, I, I know who that is. You know, the yeah. way Larry would play it. The, just the different kinds of things that, uh, that, that, that 
kind of peeled back the layer and was a revelation for me as someone that didn't grow up playing country. And John, I know, like, what was your introduction to country music? I was in college and I was going to be a, a jazzer buddy rich. I was playing in the big band at college and, you know, and this is North um, Texas, but before it was called North Texas. No, this was, this was on entire community college in okay. Syracuse, New York. I spent, uh, I spent two years there before I transferred to North Texas and, uh, living in Syracuse. And, um, the only, the only way you could make any money playing was in country bands on, on the weekends, Mm. um, you know, in bars, you know, with old guys. And here I am, you know, here I am 19 years old, you know, playing and playing in gun and knife clubs, you know, learning how to play country music. Um, but you know, that's where I also developed a, a, a love for some of it. Um, you know, there was, I, I was surprised in that there were a lot of country songs that I really liked. Yeah. You know, of course I didn't dare go back to school and tell anybody that, you know, (laughs) and, and I didn't, and I didn't want to be seen, you know, uh, I didn't want to be seen playing country music, you know, know, I was young, I was stupid, you know, I had an ego and et cetera. But, um, no, that's, that's where my, my first, uh, experience of playing country music was, you know, when I, when I started college. Interesting. In Syracuse. Yeah. Well, and there's, and it's interesting because, um, I'm filling in actually for a, for a buddy of mine who I had as a guest recently, Nate Felty, who's an amazing drummer, a great musician, but you know, his, his vocabulary in the jazz play and jazz playing is, is, is really deep. But I've heard recordings and seen him play, you know, whaling grooves and different things like that. And it's great. It's yeah. really amazing. And yeah. uh, and it just it just feels great. And it it I, I find that throughout the arc of anyone's career, you 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 explore all these different styles and you have opportunities to perform different styles when you're young. But then you kind of you kind of find what works for you if you want to stay busy as a full-time musician. But yeah. I, I, I feel like we keep coming back to, at its core, what makes uh, drumming so musical and melodic. And, you know, you talk about your influences like Buddy. And, um, and, and when I was, you know, getting to know Larry and he was talking about you and it's like, man, you, you should meet John. Like he's, a, he's really into jazz. And, you know, Larry discovered that I, I, I love jazz as well. And so he's like, man, you need to talk to, to John. And so, I mean, the, the two of you have this history with, with different genres of music that I think lend itself to, um, I think it's important for people to realize that when you diversify and you and and you know how to play all these different styles, it just makes that one thing that maybe you're known for that much better as a musician. Well, I think you need. I, I think that you need to be well rounded. Um, mm-hmm. I went to school um, at least my first two years. I was a I was a, an orchestral percussion major. In yeah. the first two years, um, because I felt that that was going to be important 
in 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 my development, and it, you know, it, it just you know broadened my uh, my scope of uh, of music and what I was able to play and what I was able to do. Hey, John, do you remember that? Um, you remember the contrabass marimba at North Texas State? Did you ever see that thing? I'm I'm sure I did see it. They had one of the few that. in the world. It was the pipes were so long. They built yeah. it into this room and they couldn't take it out. <laughs> Contrabass marimba, what everybody knew. Well, well, of course, when I when I went to North Texas, I ceased becoming an orchestral percussion major. I became a I became a lab band major. Right. Um and uh you know, I I really feel like the orchestral studies that I did um, really refined my snare drum technique. Yeah, um, you've always had great snare drum technique. It, it, it really did refine it because you have to pay attention to things like uh, dynamics. And, uh, you know, I, I, you have to learn how to play at, uh, you know, so many different uh, levels. And you mm-hmm. have to maintain control while you're doing it, so it was it was excellent in that regard. Um, you know, I I had done the four timpani studies, I had done the four mallet studies, I had done on marimba and, and xylophone and things like that. And of course, um, you know, I never kept up with it. You know, but do you but think that it, that served you well later, like when you were songwriting, when you were recording? you know, working on arrangements I, for band? You know, I didn't really remember much of it. I, I, it, mm-hmm. I, I never really could make it, you know, uh, for me, it would have been kind of hard to write a song on a marimba, you know, <laughs> um, I'm, other people can do it, I'm sure. But, you know, I wasn't one of them. Yeah. Um, I was pretty much locked into being a drum set player. Yeah. Um, so, that's where my uh, that's where my interest was. That's when that's where my focus was was on becoming a drum set player. Well, let me ask you about like why Nashville. Um, well, my answer used to be well because I've been to New York and it's too cold, and I've been to L.A. and you can't find the music business in L.A. <laughs> um, where is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, George, uh, George can tell you that. Yeah, you know, right. Nobody knows where the hell the music business is in L.A. L.A. <laughs> is <You laughs> um, too big and spread out, and the music business is all over the place. You yeah. know, uh, I had heard that Nashville was, um, that the music business was pretty much within three or four square blocks, uh, easy to find. I, I, I had heard that... Um, musicians were were generally welcoming uh, of other musicians it was a small fraternity of people uh that that kind of looked out for each other and that appealed to me and uh you know i thought well you know when i moved to nashville um because of my background i said hell i'm you know i'm gonna own that town in two weeks (laughs) (laughs) and you know I'm not the only one that had that attitude, not the first, nor would I be the last, you know, and Larry London told the story about, um, the people who come to Nashville, uh, from LA, uh, you know, he said in LA, 
you get called for sessions because you're a specialist. You're, you're a specialist at rock or fusion or jazz or this or that. He said in, in Nashville, he said, you know, you, you, you get called for anything and you better be able to play it. Mm-hmm. You know, you better be well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, he used to own a, a drum shop in town called DOG percussion. Right. And all, all of us drummers used to hang out down there and he, he would tell these stories and he, he told a story about, he said, you know, these guys come walking through the door from LA, you know, and, uh, yeah, I'm just here from LA. You know, I'm, I'm going to own this town in a month, you know? And Larry, Larry said, he'd just smile and, yeah, nod his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said a month later they come slinking back through the door. Uh, man, how do I get a gig in this town? <laughs> and Larry would just smile and nod his head, you know, like that. And he'd say, first of all, take your chops and throw them right out the window." He says nobody <laughs> nobody cares about your chops. He said they care about time, and they care about groove, and that's it. Yeah. The time and groove. That's 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 all they care about in this town. He said they, nobody nobody wants to hear how fast you can play. Yeah, it's it's amazing. This whole description that you're giving me, it's like I not much has changed at all. I mean, all those things are important, and there's still that sure. there's still that community. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, it has grown, and more people are moving here. You know, from Los Angeles and New York as the as the industry has changed even since I've been here, but um, a lot of those things are still true. The, I feel like the musicians are welcoming. Um, <clears throat> there's there's uh, just great. There's still some, some really good opportunities, even as it's grown, but I feel like it's retained its identity. But I'm, but I'm really curious to know about kind of pre-Restless Heart, what kind of gigs you were doing in Nashville or sessions um, or live. I was... I've never been a recording studio type. I've never really been a session drummer. Um, I, I did a few things before restless heart. Um, I, I played, uh, I played on the original, um, uh, the original, uh, WTBS super sports on the super station jingle that they would play. Mm hmm. Um, and I don't think I played, I don't think we played on the CNN, the original CNN theme song. We sent, we sang it, restless heart sang it, Interesting. but I, we, we didn't play on it, but, mm-hmm. um, I did a couple of things, not much. I, I pretty much played live. Um, I was very lucky in that when I first got here, um, I, 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 came and, and I got into a band called the boys band, which uh, was important uh, for the fact that Paul Gregg ended up being the bass player that was hired right. for that band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's who, you know, of course. And when they were putting together restless heart, um, they wanted to be called the Oki pro the Oki. It was called the Oki project because everybody had to be from Oklahoma. <laughs> well, they couldn't find a drummer from Oklahoma that could sing. So when they finally gave that up, you know, Paul said, I know a guy, you know, don't worry about it. And he said, well, can he sing? Yeah, he can sing. Don't worry about it. 
So they, they brought me in and, you know, much, much to Tim Dubois horror. I was from New York, you know, about the worst place you could be from, you know, if you're from Oklahoma, I guess. Um, so they couldn't call themselves Okie anymore. Um, but I, the first band lasted about nine months. It was, uh, uh, called the boys band. It was Rusty Golden and B James Lowry, Rusty Golden being William Lee Golden's son from the Oak Ridge boys. Oh, interesting. Um, we grossed nine hundred and sixty dollars in the nine months I was with them, and uh, many nights, many nights we owed the bar more money than what we made at the door. Uh, those days, luckily, I I married a trust fund baby, um, and so I, you know it wasn't all that uh, horrible for me. Um, but at any rate, I, after that, I worked in Printer's Alley. Okay. Steadily six nights a week with Diane Cheryl at the Carousel Club. And then after that, I was working at the Stockyard. Oh, right. Um, in Robin Killen's band. Uh, and we were putting together Restless Heart while I was at the Stockyard. Okay. Interesting. And um, yeah, so I pretty much <clears throat> was able to work, uh, you know, to work in clubs from the time I, I first got here. Yeah, so this is early mid '80s. The first record was '84. Uh, this would have been. I got here in '81. Uh huh. Um, Restless Heart began being put together in 1983, um, and our first album was released in 1985. Okay, and this is a. Yeah. It, it's kind of it was kind of an EP, shorter record, and and I know originally it wasn't yeah. Larry, but he he was on was he he was on that first record, right? Well, yeah, it was Verlin Thompson, mm -hmm. um, who, if you're familiar with, uh, um, uh, oh gosh, Demetria Kaladimos, do you know that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she used to be the Channel Four anchor. Oh, right. oh yeah, yeah. Oh my uh, gosh, yes. anchor on, on TV. Verlin married uh, Demetria. And um, isn't she running for Senate or governor? No, no, says something else. Never mind. <laughs> no, she she's uh, she's back back on TV now with Channel Five. Yeah, okay. Um, doing special reports and stuff like that. But um, right, we were very close to to being able to shop a deal, and Verlin quit. Um, I mean, you know, I I I came down to a meeting. And Verlin wasn't there, and they told me that Verlin quit. And but don't worry, we know a guy. You know, mm -hmm. Dave Venice knew a guy, Larry Stewart, mm -hmm. and we brought brought him in. And it's like Tim said, Verlin could make Inagata Devita sound country. Um, <laughs> and you know, we we had songs, we had songs uh, like "Too Much Thinking and Not Enough Drinking." Uh, stuff like that, that were, I mean, they were really country rockers. And, you know, I think that the band would have been big with Verlin. Okay. But Larry brought in a different element to the band. He brought, he brought the ability to do AC right. and pop into the yeah. band that Verlin, no way we, we'd have been too much thinking and not enough drinking for the rest of our career. Yeah. You know, yeah. With Verlin, great country singer. He okay. was a great country singer, but Larry brought in a whole new dimension <clears throat> to it. Hey, John. Yeah. You ever know Bucky Barrett? 
No, I'm not sure. Guitar player, great guitar player. He worked with Roy Orbison for years. Oh, okay. He was one of the few people I knew when I moved to um, Nashville. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I walked into the town with a, with a gig with, with Larry and yeah. you know, play the whole thing. And then all of a sudden the winter came and all of a sudden I wasn't working. There was nothing going on. So yeah. this, you know, this, this whole theme of, you know, how do I find a gig in this town? Well, I called up, I called up Bucky and said, man, I want to get into the recording scene here. What do I need to do? And he said, well, man, don't let anybody see you cutting your own yard. Make sure you hire somebody else to do it or else they're all going to think that you don't have any work and they're not going to call you. <laughs> that's amazing. So that's how it works. You know, don't wow. cut your own. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get so many answers. You know, how does it work in Nashville? And my yeah. favorite saying was, if somebody begins to tell you how it works in Nashville, turn around and run the other way. Yeah, exactly. They right. don't know. Right. It's yeah. different for everyone. You know, you know Larry London's uh, Mark Beckett posted on, on Facebook the other night. L- Larry uh, London made two. Uh, two VHS tapes uh, of of, mm-hmm. a, of a clinic that he did that I used to own. I don't know, George. Did you ever have that? Ever own which that? one? Uh, Larry did a two VHS tape set of a clinic uh, that that he had had done, um, and uh, Mark Beckett posted uh, just yesterday, actually, I think, or the day before, um, part of it, and. Larry has got some hysterical oh yeah stories about when he first getting getting into the studio session work like, in, in, like in, too in much that. iron give me some yeah hang the yeah, hump. yeah. Tang the, well, oh my gosh, yeah. what's funny is the re I hired Larry to do two clinics at my at my drum shop in Jackson yeah. Mississippi and yeah. it was because of that tape I saw yeah. that tape yeah. and he came in and did the very same clinic, you know, almost yeah. word for word. It was great. You know, do you remember the story about um, the producer wanting the train feel? I, I don't. You remember that one? I don't. This is classic, classic, you know, well, everybody in Nashville knows what a, every drummer in Nashville knows what a train groove is, right? We uh, just went over the way uh, I played. Uh, 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 John, you'd think so, and yet a brand new drummer, bless his heart, yeah. just moved yeah. to Nashville and was posting a list of all the songs that, and the description of the groove, and which was sharing yeah. it with the, the community. It was really yeah. nice, but he specified a song, Chattahoochee, and then wrote Drum Shuffle. <laughs> and okay. he got raked over the coal. I felt sorry for him, but he just moved well, to town and said, "Hey, here's all the different groups for these new songs that I'm learning." And guys went to town. So yes, I think people do know what a train well, groove is. He should Some, remain nameless too, because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's probably going to listen to this podcast. Yeah, I, I well, yeah. I, something similar, something similar, okay. along that line happened to Larry. Yeah. Okay. So the producer says. You know, I, you know, I want, I want, I want a train feel, on, on this song, and 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 Larry's like, you know, well, a, you know, a train feel in Detroit, where he came from. Yeah. A a train groove in Detroit is. 
you know, that's a train groove in, in Detroit. Wow. Okay. So, so Larry goes, Oh, you want a train groove? He said, I got a train groove. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. So he said, well, now the engineer is waiting for brushes. And he said, you know, he's thinking, ain't no way this fool's going to go pull out sticks and, you know, and play this. And so, you know, they, they count the song off and Larry's, you know, and he said, you know, he said that, you know, the band's coming in, you know, and he, so they stopped the band. And somebody had to explain to Larry, I think it was the bass player, had to explain to Larry what a train feel on the drums was because Larry didn't know, you know. Hey, uh, you know, I had to do that with Steve Ferroni. I was playing with oh, a band. Really? I was I was the drummer for a, a group that had yeah. was recording their first record, and they they had this great band, and they they knew somebody that knew Steve to come in and play drums, and so I was his tech for the day. It was great hanging out, and a, a song that we had been playing. He starts playing, you know, in such a way that it was. They're like, "No, we need this kick on one and three. Yeah, and right. uh, he was playing it kind of like uh, American Girl. Tom Petty and uh, mm. I said, "Man, that's not the right groove." And and the guitar player looks at me. He says, "Hey, do you want to get on the talk back and describe it to Steve what 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 we want?" I said, "No, no, 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 no. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's your band. You to I'm not telling Steve Ferroni how to play <laughs> what he's hearing. Yeah, uh, but no, he, I'm not going to tell him. No, he, he was very receptive. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 this mm. is I I this is about you. But I, that that story is so funny. I, real quick. When I again, when I first moved to town, I was playing at Layla's, and um, the guy wanted to sit in and sing "Tiger by the Tail," and I, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know this song. Like, well, how does it go? And the bass player said, "Oh, he, he's going to come in with a vocal thing, and then you'll, you'll just hear the groove." So he comes in, leading the "I've Got a Tiger," and it's that, it's that yeah. two beat "Tiger by the Tail," yeah. and and he goes, "I've Got a Tiger." <laughs> they uh, everyone turned around and was like trying to get me to play two and so within the yeah. first few bars i turned it around and played a two beat the bass player was in tears and was laughing <laughs> until the song was done <laughs> i thought oh, I bet. I bet. i've got yeah. some homework to do but yeah. you know that's how it. That's how you learn how to do it in Nashville. Sure. You get up and 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 fall flat on your ass. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. the best training you can get. Yeah. You know? yeah. Is from that point on, you know when when to ask questions and not assume anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody calls a Western swing song and you don't know what to do. It's like you got to ask somebody real quick. You know, usually the bass player. Yeah, what's a Western swing? You know. Right, right. I mean, and there, there's been times. I mean, the 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 core of the band with the frontmen right now is there's three of us that have done a variety of kinds of gigs, so that when somebody says, "Guys, can we play this song tonight? Do you think you can?" We're like, "Yeah, we got it. We'll 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 chart it. We'll figure it out." Yeah. And there's been times when when Larry has been just very gracious and said, "Man, I thank you for I thank you for doing that." I'm like, "Man, that we 
we do this all the time. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I'm curious about being in a band and having a set of songs that you do, that you record, that you write, that you perform, mm -hmm. and also knowing that your facility and your and your uh, your love of drumming and rudimentary drumming and uh, jazz drumming. How did you manage that as somebody that was with a very successful band that had like, okay, these are the 20 songs we're going to be doing on this tour for the next year, two, three years. What were you doing on your off time? Maybe in between, I know the band, you know, broke up, they got back together, you know, so there's those, those is that kind of the, during the off time, what was, what kept you active at playing and interest in, in drumming? Well, we, the, the, the longest that we ever took off, uh, was three months, mm -hmm. um, consecutively back when we were, did actual tours. Um, we only took three months off and, uh, of course we were home for three months under, you know, getting in our wives hair and getting in, in the way and everything else. And our wives all told us, don't you ever do this again. <laughs> you know, don't you, you ever take, don't you ever take three months off again? You know, <laughs> and, uh, so we pretty much, we stayed out in the road, you know, yeah. um, uh, during the off times, I remember when we were on hiatus, uh, Oh, let's see. I, f Larry left in 93, one, one, oh, one. Okay. one or two, something like that. I started with uh, him in 93. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, I was in, in, uh, Florida and I ended up, I was working a, um, uh, it was a top 40 band that I was in, um, for one month, it was five nights a week. And then the other month it was, uh, two nights a week. And we alternated with another band in town in Sarasota. So there were like two bands in town, um, that, that played that one particular gig. And so, you know, that's what I was, what I was doing. And I actually uh, found my love of playing again playing in that band because we played so many different songs and it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 18 restless heart songs every night. You know, it mm -hmm. was, um, you know, a lot, a lot of R and B, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think there were any country songs. I don't think we played any country songs. Um, they were mostly classic rock and R and B and I had so much fun, you know, yeah. playing that gig because it had been so long since I'd, I'd been able to play that kind of thing. I went through the same thing with Poco, playing the same yeah. 17 songs, you know, for years yeah. in a row. And I remember in the, I mean, they all knew I was pretty much an R&B drummer when I, you know, when I started subbing for George Grantham at PFS. Right. And I remember Rusty saying, man, I, I like all those little funny little fast notes you're playing in between things. Well, <laughs> yeah. seven years later, when I'm trying to get away with murder with that stuff, he goes, you know those funny little fast notes that you play in in between, you know, the real beats. I said, "Yeah." He said, "Don't do those anymore." I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's cool at first. You yeah, know, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you did you have to like? Did you find that your chops needed a little bit of ramping up to get 
to be able to do those gigs that you were doing five, three, five nights a week down in Florida? No, no, I, I, I pretty seamlessly integrated. Okay. Um, because I had, um, I had played a lot of the songs before. Yeah. Um, in, in different, in different, uh, well, you know, when I was playing at the carousel and I was playing at the stockyard, we played a lot of different kinds of music. And so, you know, I kept up with that. Um, muscle memory. Yeah, it's muscle memory. And plus, you know, it, the, uh, the the songs and the drum parts are not technically difficult. It's about a feel. It's it's a you know, it, it, it's a groove and a feel. Um and although I'm sure that I didn't, I'm sure that I didn't play everything, you know, lick for lick, um, you know, but it was close enough. Hey guys, I need, I need to leave. Okay. Uh, George, but, um, thank you, good man. Good to see you. Hey, look, I want to put a plug in for John's drums. I'm selling them all and his cymbals and it's all at drumsellers.com. And there's some choice stuff that he played on a bunch of albums and a bunch of tours. Yeah, so, man. Yeah. Shameless plug. Drum sellers. Fire sale. Fire sale. Everything has to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> today and today only. Drumsellers.com. Yeah. All right, man. Good to, good to talk with you, John. Yeah, good man. To, good to see you, George. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. George, for doing this, man. It's been yeah, great. Thank, you. It was super thank great. you for being here, man. All right. Surprise. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> see you. I'll see you later. Hey, see you, right, George. Man. Take care. Awesome. <laughs> That's funny. There he goes. There he goes. <laughs> Jeez. That was a nice surprise. Dude, I so yeah, I, I don't I can't remember Josh's last name. He was your tech for so long. Uh, Josh McNeil. Yes, Josh McNeil. Yes. Uh he came out he's been helping us out when he was able to when he's been able to and Yeah. And yeah. um so he's like, Man, you should you know, do you know George Lawrence? I'm like, Yeah, heck yeah, I know George. And uh he says, Well, he and John go back and I said, You know what? That would be fun. Um, we've been doing this podcast for, uh, almost eight years now. Uh-huh. And, uh, so to, to kind of find ways to interject fun things and, you know, keep the conversation, uh, interesting is, is always, is always fun. I gave Josh, I had to get rid of it. I, I wasn't, I wasn't about to, you know, try to sell a symbol stand or a this or that or anything else. And I gave him, I just get, and a lot of stuff was new, you know, and I just said, get it out of here. Yeah. He wife, showed me, he showed me your wife says it's gotta go, <laughs> get it out of here. You know? And it was literally, it was a, I mean, it took up half the front room here. Um, and I, I had gotten a kit. I had, I had a kit built back in 98 um, it was actually, it was, a um, one of the very first Pearl custom shop, mm-hmm. uh, sets that I had done in champagne sparkle that was actually paint. It wasn't a laminate mm. covering. It was actual paint mm-hmm. and clear coat, um, that my friend, Tony LaCroix, who used to be our guitar tech way back when, well, he was also, he was Glenn Fry's guitar tech before the Eagles broke up. And then, uh, he was, he was Glenn, he was Tim, Tim and Don Henley's guitar tech on the hell freezes over tour. And so he got a bunch of Don Henley guitar picks Oh my gosh. and he glued 
a Don Henley Eagles guitar pick inside one of the rack toms. And uh, so I didn't pay anything for the kit, you know, and I just said, look, I said, the wife says it's got to go. It's taking up space. We don't have room for it, you know. And I, I said, you know, make me an offer. And he said, oh, my God. He said, I don't have any money. He said, I, I, I couldn't make you an offer that would come, be, come even close. I said, doesn't matter. I said, <laughs> make me an offer. Well, he refused to make me an offer. So I said, look, I said, give me this. You can have, you can have the kit. Yeah. And, you know, he was stunned. I mean, absolutely stunned, you yeah. know. And he's got the kit. He loves it. I'm glad it went to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I gave him the rack. I gave him the, um, I gave him everything. I've seen you it. Know? I've seen it. It looks, it's amazing. There's it's a beautiful. pile of drum heads and drumsticks and all kinds of crap. I said, get it out of here. It's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you about that. Just this, this, this idea of retirement. It just, it doesn't even come across <clears throat> the idea of that for most musicians doesn't even seem fathomable. I mean, like, well, uh, I'll tell you when, um, you know, because Larry had left the band once before, Mm -hmm. um, I know how tough it is to try to go back out there without your lead singer. And, um, you know, maybe Lone Star's having a, 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 an easier time with it. I don't know because they're out there. They, they replaced Richie. Uh, you know, they're out there doing it. Yeah. Um, we had an awful time until now when Larry left the first time, we still had a record deal. Yeah. So we still had a chance to get something on the charts and and keep going, which luckily for us, we did. We were able to do that. That's when I first Um, saw you uh, on your video in what, 93, when she cries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and, And I remember seeing that a few months ago and it brought back memories of, at that time in my life, seeing that, I was like a drummer singing lead that, that yeah. just, I've said just, just, yeah, it was amazing. So we, we, we still had a chance and luckily we were able to get a hit, um, and, uh, with it and, and continue on. Yeah. Um, but I remember it was probably 18 months before that happened, before we were able to get that single out there. And that 18 months was brutal. I mean, brutal. Hmm. Um, people were getting up and walking out of shows. Wow. Um, you know, we were all trying to, uh, me and Paul and Greg were all trying to divvy up, you know, all the hits. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was just disheartening, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, you know, the money was going down and, and everything else. And finally, I... Uh, we, we put out one she quit. And I also found out how fickle the pop market is. Um, we put out one she cries in 93, I think. And, uh, we had a big pop hit with it. It was much bigger at pop radio than it was at country. And all of a sudden we're making all this money, mm-hmm. you know, cause we had this big pop record. Um, and the next year, we weren't able to work and I called Rick Ship, who was then the head of William Morris, who had started with us as an agent way back when. 
and and I called him, I think it was in, I don't know, January, February, something like that. And I said, well, Rick, what's our year looking like? He said, John, he said, I don't think you're going to have a year. And I said, what? What do you mean? Hmm. I had just bought a house in Florida. Oh, no. I still owned a house in Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, you know, and I'm like, well, huh? What do you, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, John, he said, I don't think, I don't think I can get you fifth. I don't think I can get you 50 dates at five, $5,000. Mm. And I'm like, you're kidding. You know, and you know, we, we just couldn't, we couldn't go out and work. I mean, you know, he couldn't get us any work. Um, so, you know, there I was in Florida. Even with, with the pop with, hit. Even, well, the pop hit was over. Okay. Okay. You know, it was, yeah. we had, we had, we had ridden that train as far as that record was, you know, was, he said, I understand. pop is all about what have you done for me lately? Okay. You know, um, so, you know, there I was, uh, you know, uh, not knowing exactly what in the world I was going to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I know how difficult it was. Well, when Larry, Larry email or he texted everybody in January of, uh, 2020. And, you know, I know Larry had been unhappy for a while, uh, with certain things, you know, um, you know, I'm not going to go into detail. It's just suffice it to say that he was, he, he was unhappy and he wanted to move on. I knew that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he actually made me a promise that he wouldn't leave until I retired. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he thought I was going to retire sooner than I got around to it. But, uh, you know, at any rate, in, in, uh, he, he texted everybody. I was only going to do another year anyway. Yeah. Um, because I was you know, going to turn 70. I played and sang on every song and our set list was nonstop, you know, okay. 90 minutes of nonstop. Boom, 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 boom. There was no breaks in between any of the songs. Um, and singing and playing on every song, it was getting to be more and more and more difficult, especially at the, at the, the the tempo of of the show Mm -hmm. and so when he he texted everybody and said that he want he was going to step away from wrestler's heart uh i said well now is as good a time as ever for me to retire you know because i'm i'm just not going to go through that again yeah yeah um i know how difficult i knew how difficult it was going to be um i wasn't interested in trying to replace larry um, our agent was, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't interested in trying to replace him. Uh, so I just said, well, guys, I said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and retire too. Mm -hmm. At this point, I'm going to retire. And, um, the three of them ultimately decided that they, they weren't, just weren't going to go on. So that was the end of that. Um, I have no regrets about retiring. Um, I was, I was ready. I had accomplished everything that I had set out to accomplish, uh, in, in the music business. Um, and I was at peace with, with all of that. Yeah. Proud of what we were able to do, what we had accomplished. And, you know, I, uh, held my head high and said, I'm ready. 
I'm ready for retirement. I don't know what it's going to bring. Um, you know, my people ask me, what's retirement been like? I said, well, it's, it's, it's kind of been like the first, you know, two years of COVID. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there wasn't right. really a whole lot to do. Yeah. You know, um, nothing's really changed in, in, in that regard. Um, and of course I've just had a hip replacement. So right. I've had, I've had physical, some physical issues to deal with, okay. um, which make me glad that I'm not out on the road having to deal with, with any of this. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm very content with being retired. And I know, you know this is kind of relatively new, but I mean, are there things that you're, you, you miss a little bit or are wistful about? I miss, uh, I miss seeing a lot of the fans. Are there things that you're looking forward to doing now that you have the time? Um, well, now that I have the time and I've gotten the hip replaced, um, and I don't seem to be having any back trouble. You know, I would like to get out more and do more things. Um, you know, um, I've pretty much been, uh, you know, I've had a lot of back issues, um, uh, for the past 15 years. How tall are you, John? uh, How tall, how tall are you? Um, six foot. Okay. Uh, yeah. it, kind of a common theme. It's been interesting the last couple of years. Uh, my co-host Zach is six four, I think. Yeah, I'm six two. Uh, gosh, back issues, physical issues. Um, I mean, it, it it has become kind of a a reoccurring thing that we find ourselves wanting to talk about with our guests. And there uh, is not a drummer my age that I know that doesn't have back issues, uh, knee issues, hip issues that hasn't, uh, many of them have had hip replacements. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had knee replacements. They've had back surgeries. Uh, it just kind of goes with the territory. <laughs> um, the older you get them, it, it, it's the wear and tear that we have gone through in our, our, you know, all of our lives being drummers, um, you know, not, uh, I, I see these guys sitting on drum stools with their knees above their, you know, breaking the 90 degree. Yeah. Ouch. uh, Plane. And I'm like, Oh, you guys are going to have to have new hips when you're 50. You know, (laughs) I mean, uh, first of all, I don't know, understand how anybody can play, with their knees up that high. Right, right. This looks so uncomfortable to me. And I feel like that trend uh, has has kind of started to go away and we're seeing we're seeing some 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 drummers that that you know that are sitting up higher and the pe- yeah. people that were were following and and uh, that are that are doing things that were like okay as 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 you kind of go through these eras, you know, you, you look at like Steve Smith 1981 sitting so low with this, you know, and then Steve Smith, you know, 2018 sitting way high or whatever, you know, just those, those different changes. It's like, okay. I I, I think it gets, it it gets harder on your joints. The Mm -hmm. older you get, the harder it gets on your joints. And you, and, and these guys who used to sit lower adjusting, 
you know, mm. because their joints are starting to bother them. Yeah, yeah. So I know that you gave away a lot of things. You, you're selling your snare drums uh, through George's website, drumsellers.com. Um, I mean, do you, do you have anything that you've kept behind, uh, you know, sticks, practice pad? I kept my uh, John Aldrich engraved six and a half by 14 Black Beauty. That was the Restless Heart anniversary engraving that I had done on it with the original Restless Heart uh, uh, logo on it. Um, and we did it up in, uh, brass hoops and, and brass tube lugs and, uh, John engraved the hoops and, and put my name on the hoops. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty drum. Yeah. And I, I had decided, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to play this thing. I, I, I kept it in the case for, I don't know couple of years Mm -hmm. and i said you know what i'm gonna play it i and i my what i had been using since 2005 was a a pearl wooden reference snare drum which was the closest Mm -hmm. thing to a rogers uh, an old wooden rogers dinosonic that i had ever uh come across yeah um it's a 20 ply drum it's got four plies of mahogany in it um and there's 16 plies of maple, and it's heavy. It's a heavy drum. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds remarkable. It's a remarkable-sounding drum. Very, very musical drum. Very, very sensitive, responsive. Not a lot of overtone to it. Um, but I I took the Black Beauty out, and, uh, you know, the first time I put it up, uh, Josh said, man, he said, that thing sounds unbelievable. And I said, you know, it really does, doesn't it? <laughs> I started using the Black Beauty. The Black Beauty is different. It has a different character yeah. to it. Uh, but it's just as good, in in my opinion. Um, it's just as good, but it's different. It's a, yeah. Than, it doesn't, it never sounded particularly metallic to me. Um, there, there's some metallic, um, overtones to it, but not in your face. You know, it's a very, very mellow, uh, sounding drum to me, which is remarkable. And I think it's because it's brass. I think there's some alloy drums that, uh, I mean, people are amazed to to find how warm they are. There's a manufacturer buyer, B E I E R. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, James makes beautiful right. steel, very thin steel drums. We've had him on as mm-hmm. a guest. He's he made a four by fifteen drum for me, and the warmth and the mid range, the throatiness of that under the microphone yeah. is amazing, and yeah. people are surprised uh, when they look yeah. at it. This thin steel drum, like, oh, what is this? Yeah. The nineteen nineties? I'm like, no, listen to this thing. And it's yeah. wolfy, and it's great. Well, I found the Black Beauty to be uh, to be very warm. Yeah, um, it, it's a very warm drum, um, and uh, that I haven't I haven't found. I've I've had several brass snare drums, and I haven't found um, 
that to be the case with with every uh, with every brass snare drum. You know, certainly not with stainless steel or aluminum. Um, you know, I've had those as well. Yeah. Uh, but this is a it's a very warm, very warm, very uh, sensitive drum, and uh, yeah, I loved it. I you know, and our our sound man flipped out over it. And uh, I said, well, we'll keep using it. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What did you, what was your go-to snare drum in the studio? Oh, boy. Um, did it I vary up, on songs? Uh, I, yeah, I would show up at the studio with like, you know, 25 snare drums. Um, and Scott Hendricks would go through every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd find the one that he liked. Um, and generally he would like that snare drum for about half the tracks. Um, <laughs> and then he'd want to go through snare drums again for, of course I changed out, you know, if it was a slow ballad, I would want to move to a deeper drum. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'll tell you the one, uh, on the, the, uh, big dreams in a small town yeah. album. Yeah. That bluest eyes in Texas is on. Um, uh, I recorded the entire album with a pearl brass free floating piccolo snare drum. I just tuned the drum up and down. And I I had a a, a conversation with Keith Knudsen who who was the Doobie Brothers uh original drummer. Yep. Uh, out in California. I was out there visiting him years ago. And, and I told him about it. He said, you know, he said, I did the same thing on a Doobie Brothers album. Pearl Free Floating Piccolo. He said, I did the same thing. And I, I gifted that drum to our keyboard player's son, Isom. Isom Innes, who is with the group Foster the People. Um, Isom is my, basically my only protege. Mm. Um and from the time he was small, uh, he took an interest in, in, uh, in, in drums and he came up and played, uh, some percussion with us a couple of times as he was growing up. And, uh, I wrote his, his letter to Berkeley for him and, uh, and things like that. So I'm, I'm real proud of Isom. That's awesome. And, uh, I gifted, I gifted that drum, uh, to Isom. Uh, because I knew it was, it was, it was going to be in good hands and it, it you know, wasn't going to be sold. <laughs> so th- th- that story I told you about Steve Ferroni, uh, when yeah. I was going to be his tech for the, that record, I said, well, what do you look right. He goes, uh, uh, I need a six and a half black beauty and a, um, a free floater, what, uh, yeah. a brass free, free floating, maybe four or four or five. And, and, uh, it was yeah. at, uh, Blackbird and, um, John McBride was engineering and doing some producing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in, in his collection, he did not have that. We had to go. And I said, well, Forks has one we could rent. And he goes, I don't rent drums. Here, here's my car. Go buy it. And, no. he, <laughs> and he used that free-floating drum on most of yeah. that record. And it, yeah. I mean, his yeah. touch and everything, but a little well, bit that, of tuning. I, and it, you know, There's something about the pearl brass free-floating piccolo that it's hard to yeah you know i i couldn't believe i i did the entire album with that one snare drum and it just tuned up and down 
Yes. You know, another guy did the same thing. Well, Keith did the same thing. That's, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Was there something about your time with Ed Shaughnessy? This is kind of an all encompassing question. Something about your time with Ed Shaughnessy that you learned that you that just stayed with you throughout your career. That you're like, man, I'm so <laughs> glad that I learned that. I'm so glad that. Well, I, well, the 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 main thing that I that I learned from Ed is like Ed Ed told me in the beginning. He said, I I can't teach you how to play. He said nobody can teach you how to play. He said you teach yourself how to. Yeah, I can't teach you how to play. Um, so we, we did a lot of, uh, reading, uh, out of the, uh, um, modern reading text in four, four, the Belson Barinas book. Uh, he had his own odd time reading text that we, that we, you know, went through. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of reading and interpretation, long and short sounds. You play short sounds on the snare drum, long sounds on the bass drum, to coincide with big band, uh, you know, jazz parts like a trumpet stab would be, you know, would be a, a, a snare drum hit, um, you know, a longer note, um, uh, would be, would be played on the bass drum. Yeah. You know, like, buddy, would be snare, snare, bass drum. Did that boom, you yeah, know, he, yeah. and he taught me things like that. Those are so invaluable. I mean, just like understanding musical phrasing and how to be melodic on the drum set. Right. Yeah. And, and we did a lot of, uh, uh, first thing, first lesson, I walk in and he had, he had, uh, two practice pads set up. He had two drum sets in the studio. He, we, he, he taught at the old Henry Adler drum shop on 46 west 46th street in manhattan and uh he 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 had two practice pads set up he said grab a pair of sticks and he set the metronome at some i forget 160 something and uh, you know he said okay we're gonna do a double stroke roll for five minutes you know mm-hmm. no it, you know it had to be even as well you yeah. know yeah and um, he said, the way you keep it even is that you, you know, your first stroke has to be even, you know. So he, the bounce doesn't matter. The first stroke has to be even, you know. Hmm. So, all right, now we're going to go for five minutes. And I made it a minute and five seconds, I think, <laughs> or I fell apart, you know. And he said, I'll tell you the reason I do that. He said, the, one of the first sessions I ever got called for, I had to do a, I had to do a, a double stroke roll for five minutes. Oh, wow. It was for a movie, it was for a movie score. Mm-hmm. And he said, I almost didn't make it. Hmm. And he said, I vowed my students are going to be prepared for this. Yeah. If should it ever happened to them, I'm going to make sure they're prepared for it. Mm-hmm. And that was my first lesson with him. Um, he was he was very uh, he was a taskmaster. He didn't take any, there was no BS. Uh, you were either prepared or he threw you out the door. Mm-hmm. He didn't have time. You know, just didn't have time. If you if you weren't serious and you didn't walk in prepared, he didn't have time for you. You know, that's amazing. Um, he taught me the. Um, 
be prepared, be better than the mob. Um, success is, is uh, preparation meeting opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he said, my job is to prepare you. Well, and, and, and when I, and I don't know if you can speak to this, but when I moved here in 2000, I knew I was going to be a very small fish in a, in a huge pond full of talent that I, I knew about, I read about, and I was yeah. going to soon discover. And the only way that I felt like I could be remotely competitive is to do my homework, be ready, uh, know right. songs, know how to write charts, know how to read my own damn charts and, yeah. and, um, and be a decent human being. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that is something that is tried and true throughout the ages. You know, it, there's an old, uh, uh, an old comic, um, that, you know, we're on the one side, you got, you got the guy hitting, hitting everything in sight and the band leader going, you're amazing. Yeah. And the other guy is just playing two and four and the band leader goes, you're hired. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, it's, it's the basics. It's all about the basics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a time and a place for, uh, embellishment. Um, myself as a as a as a a studio drummer in restless heart i wasn't much on fills i didn't play a lot of fills when i did play fills they weren't fancy um i wasn't that kind of a player Mm -hmm. um you know i and but i was consistent in, in, in what I did. Basically one take, I'm basically going to play pretty much the same thing from one take to the next. Um, which I came to find out that, uh, when, when I was working with, uh, when we were working with Kyle Lennox, um, on the still restless album on Koch, um, you know, I, we, I got into a conversation with him. I said, well, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a flashy drummer in the studio. I don't play a lot of licks. I don't play a lot of fills. And he said, uh, and I said, I'm, 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 I'm a technician. I'm not really a creative guy. I'm a technician. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're consistent. And he said, that's what I like about you. Yeah. He said, I can count on your consistency. Yeah. And so I think that, uh, I think that that's valuable to um you know to producers is that i think that you you have to approach things consistently uh now i understand there are some producers that might want you to throw in everything but the kitchen sink so that they can decide what they want to keep right um my experience hasn't been that Mm -hmm. um i've worked with a limited number of producers though Mm -hmm. um i mean i've worked with you know I've worked with Barry Beckett. I've worked with Kyle Lenning. I've worked with, you know, uh, several of the best. Um, you know, it's like Barry Beckett told me, we sat down and had a, had a conversation. Um, this was when, when um, I decided that I wanted Eddie Bears to play on uh, the Buffalo Club album. Okay. I didn't want to play drums. I wanted Eddie to play. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I told Eddie, I said, I want you to play on my record. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to play on my record. I want you to play on my record. <laughs> you, know? 
And I, ha- I had had a conversation with, with, with Barry. And Barry said, when, when you do a fill, he said, it's got to be a mother effort. You got to be, I mean, it's just got to be a mother effort, you know? And I said, well, I don't play mother efforts. And, you know, that, and, and I said, besides, I said, I want 80 bears to play on my record, you know, and he went good. (laughs) So he wanted to use Eddie and Michael Rhodes anyway, you know? Yeah, I think he would. He was because it was basically my band, and I brought him the project. You know, I think he was gonna, you know, acquiesce reluctantly, you know, to have me play on it. But I, I, I saved him the trouble, and I said, I want Eddie to play on my record. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Because <laughs> yeah, I want Eddie to play on your record too. <laughs> you know? So. But that's one of the things about Restless Heart, that its reputation for being the guys on the record that are yeah. recording, because yeah. that wasn't as commonplace. Uh, and for a long time, it was it was hardly known of. Well, no, until... when we first started, when we first started, um, I think that every band out with the exception of Exile, possibly, um, they were all session guys that played on these bands records. Yeah. You know, it wasn't the band. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, we were one of the first mm-hmm. that, that we played on our, played on our records, you know, which was virtually unheard of because they were still doing it the old Nashville way where Nashville was used to country artists having a solo artist. Bands were unheard of. So you had a solo artist and you had session musicians, and that's the way Nashville operates. Mm-hmm. So when bands came along, well, we don't care if it's a band. You know, you get your get your lead singer out there, and then we're going to have session guys play the track. Your lead singer is going to sing the, the the lead, and then you can have you know your guys come in and sing harmony. You know, if there's harmony on it. Yeah. So yeah, that's the way they that's the way they did it. Yeah. You know. and, and it's and things have changed. I mean, there's great examples of that from, you know, Brad Paisley, Brothers Osborne, uh, you know, uh, Jason Aldean, of course, you know, yeah. of, of bands that are playing on the record. But at the same time, it still holds true. Like the frontmen now are are using studio players, and you know, our band leaders like, oh man, I wish we could do it. And my mind is going, you know what? Yeah, it would be nice. But mm-hmm. I want that group to be competitive and sound mm-hmm. just as good. And if uh, I'm trying to, uh, um, who um, Lonnie Wilson ended up on the last session that they did. And it's like, yeah, get Lonnie Wilson to do this. Don't ask me to do it because it's going to sound great. And when they put that new single out, it's going to sound just as good next to the latest Keith Urban single, whatever, because it just has to be. And then, then those guys get booked more Then we all work more. So it's, you know, you know, it boils down to a lot of it boils down to money. Um, you know, uh, I remember when we first got together, uh, we didn't have a rec, a record label deal Mm -hmm. when we recorded the first EP. Um, I played on, 
it was an eight song EP I played on two songs, but there were six songs recorded before we had a deal. And Tim Dubois just came to me and he said, John, he said, you're not going to play on these songs because I'm using my own money. And he said, I'm used to working with these, this group of guys in the studio. I know they can get it done fast. Yeah. I've never worked with you in the studio. I don't know how long it's going to take you. And he said, it's my money and I'm sorry. And I said, Hey, Tim, it's your money. I said, you should, yeah, you should do whatever you want to do because you're paying for it. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's what it boils down to. Uh, it, I, I think it's a cost thing. It's, uh, you know, they know that these guys, I, I went to a session uh, the other day. I've got a, a little project with a couple friends of mine that, um, that I'm just, you know, we're just doing vocals on. Okay. Uh, and they were, uh, friend of mine's uh, producing this girl that has a sugar daddy that you know they hired brent mason and and uh, uh lonnie and uh you know a bunch of you know a team session guys and i mean they're just boom 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 you know they, they they're gonna record 15 songs that day yeah yeah you know and they just get it done yeah you know because they're in there they're in the studio all the time it's what they do yeah it sounds amazing. Another artist I work with is Michelle Wright, and she just re- yeah. re-recorded "Take It Like a Man," yeah. and um, and all the original players, including Lonnie. And uh, I, ironically, yeah. I just listened to that her new recording yesterday for the first time, and the consistency. And uh, talk about sound and consistency. It was there, and I was like, "That's my new mission. That's my new goal as a player." Uh, at this stage of my life has got to be that consistency. You know, that's where, that's what's valuable to me. It's, it's, uh, and I went through that learning those GAD things and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, yeah. this is what's most important to me. And, and it's what's most important to the people I play with, you know, yeah. that, that consistency, that support, um, you know. But John, listening and, diving deeper into your playing as someone that is recreating the parts that you performed has been a joy, man. It is just, I've really enjoyed it. Like I said to you before, I I played a lot of Restless Heart songs when I first moved to town, but now I have the opportunity to, uh, to play them, but represent them in the, as most, at at the most professional level that I'm, I'm able to, but now I have to like I, I want to listen. I want to know exactly what you played. And and I know that at the moment there was the way you performed them and then they evolved over time, you know, I I've always said, I, you know, I wish that we, that we had had more time to develop these songs outside of the recording studio. Mm-hmm. Um, many times we, you know, we were getting demos while we were in the uh, process of recording the album um and oh yeah okay well yeah we like that let's let's do that and we're literally you know in the middle of doing the album and having to learn the song and having to cut a basic track on it whereas you know a year later um you know little nuances just make their way into the performance and into your playing that you wish gosh i wish we could have recorded it this way yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tend to be the I you know, the default is to learn exactly what's on the record and 
and then then kind of just then find what works because I, I just have so much yeah. faith in what was uh, the take, what uh, the the player was doing in the studio that day, um, and 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 then try and learn from it. And it's almost I've been like that, but and I'd say almost to a fault. Um, but, uh, but still hopefully it's, it's made its way into my bloodstream somehow so I can, I can uh, be more like, uh, all the people that I've been learning from for all these years. You know, it, just have fun with it. Um, <laughs> it, you know, what, what you guys are doing, it's not meant to be, uh, restless heart. It's not meant to be little Texas. It's not meant to be Lone Star. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's supposed to be a fun thing, you know, and I, I never expected, uh, you know, to hear exact parts out of, out of everybody. Um, you know, it's, it, it was never meant to be that. Yeah. It's a fun thing. Have fun with it. Right. Um, right. And it, 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 to me, it always was a no brainer that, that you get, you get these three guys and all the hits that they represent, you know, with their respective bands, um, you're getting 90 minutes of mostly number one records. Yeah. Uh, it's a no brainer for a buyer. Yeah. You know, and, and, to me, it just it just looks like it should be a fun thing. It is, yeah. you know that, that that it shouldn't be, uh, you know, this seriousness and uh, and you know people having temper tantrums and you know whatever you know that 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 has a tendency to go on in, uh, you know, in a group that's been been together for a long time, you know. It's uh, where you get to the point where you can't stand the sound of somebody's hair growing. <laughs> one of the eagle, one of the eagles said that, you know, the breathing in and out. And yeah. In and out. yeah I can't so. stand the sound of your hair growing. You know? <laughs> oh, there's some really, there's some real human stuff there though. But I mean, I tell you about these guys, elite singers, man, they can be, pretty all over the map but these guys they they get along really well and um they i i can tell you one thing and you'll appreciate this they trust us they trust the yeah. band and uh i can't and 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 that's not my default i come in i'm like i'm here i'm ready for you i'm here to serve i'm your employee uh but they are like no what like hey this is this is tempo here. This is that. This is how do you, do we, is that okay? Does that work? They're like, no, it's cool. Whatever you want to you like, you tell us. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, they have ideas, but it's a, it's a very uh, diplomatic situation. And, and, um, it, it speaks, well, they, speaks well, to them. They, well, they should, they should trust you because you guys are pros. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, you, you, you have a bunch of professional musicians, um, different from having a band full of artists you have five artists that are five equal partners mm -hmm. and um you know i used to say you know nothing ever gets done <laughs> you know when, when when you have five five artists who are all equal partners nothing ever gets done yeah yeah um you know when you it's like a peter noon from herman's hermits you know he 
He said, I love bands. I don't like democracy. <laughs> he said, somebody has to be the boss. Yes. Somebody has to be the leader and somebody has to be the boss. And he said, I, he said, you can't do it when you have five equal members. It just, you know, it just doesn't work. And I think and, we're uh, dealing, we're dealing a little bit with that right now. And I, I think it will work itself out, but it is interesting that um, you have three voices that it's like, guys, yeah. there needs to be that. It is inter- interesting dynamic with yeah. that. Well, yeah. I mean, and uh, there's always a danger, you know, whenever you get, uh, whenever you get three stars together, you know, to do something like that. But I mean, you know, I, I've been around all three of those guys and, you know, they seem to be pretty easy going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, like I said before, man, I, th- those guys are having a kind of a, a, a new life, a new and partying sometimes extra hard. And I'm like, guys, yeah. <laughs> we, when we get to the place, you get to go to your hotel room and I have to go set up drums, and get ready for your sound check. So I'm going to bed Yeah. and they are yeah. rocking out until, you know, three, yeah. four in the morning. <laughs> well, and you know, I think that uh, I know Larry <laughs> just kind of existed in a pressure cooker you know, with, with restless heart, um, you know, the last, the last eight years or so we were, we were together. Um, and so this is a big relief for him, you know, where he, where he can relax and, and have some fun. He, he is really fun to work for and he's been sweet to me and, um, it's been fun to get to know him and he's just been consistent, consistently cool and easygoing and just one of the easiest guys to work with. So he's and, a very easy guy to work with. Yeah. You know? And it was and it's great to know that I know there's all different kinds of dynamics and uh, and whatnot. But to know that you guys were still still close and in and, and contact, that is like, well, that that even says, tells me more about John, you know. He's very easy to work with. You know, I, I never had a problem with Larry. I, I didn't understand the guys in the band that did have a problem with Larry. I, I you know, I thought, you know, you guys are out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think we've all experienced that from time to time. But, John, I, it's it's been an honor, man, to, to meet you and to t- talk with you. Well, it's been great talking to you too. Yeah, man. I'm 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 glad we got to be able to do this. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm and and, and what uh, a treat having George. In <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have to do that more often. But that was that was fun. Um, but um, yeah, thanks for your insight and 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 good luck with with just the the rest of retirement and managing your time and, and finding joy in, in this new part of your life. I will. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And again, best of luck to you out there. Um, you know, I'm glad you're still out on the road and I'm not, uh, <laughs> you know, like I say, I do miss some of the, uh, some of the fans, Yeah. but I don't miss the travel. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... I, I don't miss the travel at all. Um, I honestly don't miss playing either. And I think there are probably some musicians that will, you know, might have a hard time with that, but you know what? I, I'm, you know, I just, I'm just done with it. <laughs> just yeah. And, and you know, the last thing I'll say is I keep thinking of this book. My wife got it for me and a good friend of mine told me about it. And, and basically it's this, it's this concept of, 
you work so hard. It's like it's like the soldier that builds up his his abilities and his armor and everything like that, and does his duty and his service, and then you take the armor off, you put the sword away, and then you live the second half of your life reaping the benefits of the work that you've done. I wish I could remember the name of that book, um, but it's like it's this entry into the next stage of life, but yeah. but but with grace and and appreciation for, yeah. like you say, all the things that you've been wanting to do that you wanted to do in your life, in music, in your career, you've done it. So it's time yeah. to just like enjoy. I didn't want to be the guy that stayed too long and had other musicians, um, other musicians go, man, I remember when that guy used to be pretty good. You know, uh, I didn't want that to be me. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I hear you. I hear you. No, I think that's an important thing. And it's, I don't think it's anything we've ever touched upon uh, on the podcast. Um, but I think it's important for listeners that are maybe, uh, contemplating that and, um, just, you know, that that next stage and yet maintaining the love and appreciation for what they've experienced in life with music Mm -hmm. um and not let it get to a place where it becomes that bitter relationship but it's always beautiful the 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 traveling and the physical hardships uh made it to where i didn't love it anymore Mm -hmm. and i you know I, i just said well you know, when I stop loving it, um, I'm I'm going to hang it up. Yeah, yeah. So. I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, John, again, I hope we get a chance to meet in person. But this is I the next. So. This is the next yeah. best thing, and um, we'll, we'll put this. I have to come to a Christmas show and 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 harass Larry from the front row. <laughs> there you go. He would love that. Um, yeah. Hey. I want to hear the original singer sing when she cries. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep in touch with me, man, if there's anything that you need. Yeah. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. All right. Awesome, John. Thank you, man. All right. Have a blessed day. Bye. Thank you, too. Take care. So there you have it, my conversation with John Dietrich. I remember seeing him play in 93 on MTV, singing lead behind the drums. It was just, it was crazy for me. And People remind me, you know, there's there's many examples, you know, Don Henley and Phil Collins, but I don't know, there was, there was just something special about that video, When She Cries. You can find it on YouTube. It's really cool. Um, it, it's been just really fun to listen closer to John's parts as I've been backing up Larry Stewart the last couple years and uh, really digging into that Restless Heart catalog with this road gig that I've been doing. And just what an extra bonus to be able to have him on the podcast and talk about the arc of his career and, and all the things that he's been into. So I, I just so appreciate that. Next week is Thanksgiving, and we have decided to take that week off. And then in two weeks, Zach Albetta will be back. His guest will be drummer Mona Tavacoli. She is an L.A. drummer who tours with Jason Mraz. So come back and check that out. But for now, everyone, thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Have a great Thanksgiving. And we'll see you real soon. Bye-bye.